here with Richard Orm today, Dr. Richard Orm, and he's coming uh, to NPOD from University of Exeter. And um, this is our day three of NPOD, so everyone's, I'm sure, tapped out a bit. But I did want to ask him, you know, what is, uh, what is your most exciting sort of takeaway from NPOD, the NPOD meeting this time? And also sort of just a little um, public service announcement about what's happening, what's exciting, and what's happening in your laboratory right now. So two questions. That's it. Okay. So I, um, yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, I've really, really enjoyed the meeting. It's always absolutely kind of bursting with really exciting and interesting science. Really great discussions, and also wonderful people who um, just care so much and are all effectively on the same team working for people with type diabetes. I, I think for me the. Um, this, the beginning kicked off really well. So I had a colleague, uh, Nick Thomas, who was talking about um, age associations in type 1 diabetes. And one of the really interesting things is that probably half or more of all new diagnoses occur in adults, but we know so much less about the biology of adult type 1 diabetes. I really enjoyed the session. Uh, I really enjoyed that session when uh, the comparisons were made between what we know in children versus what we know and also mainly what we don't know in adults. Uh, and because I worked closely with Nick and it was his first, first visit to Enpod, actually, personally, it was just exciting He's to already spoken with get him involved. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, Actually, one session that I just kind of loved and was surprised by was Mark Cusing. Yeah. Not his science, which is amazing, but actually he gave a talk over breakfast about um, the impact of academia on uh, climate. And it was just really, um, it was really inspiring to hear how he'd got into this how he was working at his institutional level to actually improve the footprint of, the kind of climate footprint of uh, academia and academic medicine. It was really inspiring, actually. Um, I, I think um, I, was chair, I was lucky to chair a session on um, uh, uh, the role of diversity um, and appropriately um, studying diverse populations in type 1 diabetes research. Uh, this was quite... This was kind of sobering for me, so it was really interesting, really important, but it was sobering because historically we've uh, really not done a good job of it, uh, and including people of diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds in type 1 diabetes, biology studies and uh, intervention trials. And that was a real kind of wake-up call to think we really need to do better, to make sure there's kind of equity in terms of uh, all the new kind of... Uh, potential benefits that come out of research. Yeah, it can inform the knowledge base and, you know, really provide insight into how to treat these diverse populations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? And also just make sure they have the same access. You know, for example, most clinical trials tend to be performed in white Europeans. And you, you, you then you're left with this question, do the results apply across different uh, racial ethnic backgrounds. Yeah, John Cadiz brought up a great question yeah, how about the a doesn't work very well in people of color versus, yeah. you know, Caucasians. So that was really interesting. Yeah, and, and it raises this question, um, you really need to get these people included in the trials. Uh, you, uh, you really need to get diverse populations included in trials. So I found that very motivating. It was sobering, but really important and motivating. Um, it's the first time I've met Susie Cabrera, who really gave a wonderful overview of the subject, actually. Okay, so my pers the personal kind of hot topic, in a way, from my perspective, would probably be that um, the field of screening for type 1 diabetes is kind of absolutely fizzing. Uh, you know, there's a new approved therapy that could be that could allow early treatment before clinical diagnosis. 
this could completely change the landscape for type 1 diabetes. Let's and hope I, so. And I, I kind of, because I work in genetic and antibody screening and predicting future type 1 diabetes, it's personally interesting and exciting. But I think um, this first treatment has arrived. If we look at other autoimmune diseases, the, the other treatments lined up like aeroplanes. And the dream scenario is that we revolutionize, um, we completely revolutionize, you know, type 1 diabetes as a disease. And people who are on the journey towards clinical diagnosis can be held before that. And kept in remission. Yeah, kept, you know, before they even ever uh, develop a need for insulin. And, you know, it's a, it's a kind of lofty dream, but it, it kind of feels so much closer since that FDA approval. So I think that, and I'm mainly involved with screening rather than clinical trials. Um, it's our job as a screening community to find ways that this could be viable in public healthcare systems um, across, you know, all the different all the different types of healthcare system that there are, be they more socialised, be they insurance-based. And that's going to be a real challenge, actually. Yeah. But, that's probably but the... you know, you might think about, I mean, not you, but I mean, one might think about companies like Dexcom, who are just really, do, you know, they're doing incredibly well. And what about them taking on some kind of, I don't know, PSA, uh, you know, PR, you know, um, situation where they might be involved in sort of monitoring progression. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and they have these data, so maybe they might be convinced to share uh, in the scientific community or something along those lines to kind of get more insight into these windows. Completely. So at the moment, we're kind of missing the piece of exactly how you fit CGM into predicting people uh, developing clinical type of diabetes. That's definitely a, a kind of a hot area, as well as how do you how do you auto antibody screen? What's the interval of follow up and everything else? Uh, you really we really hope I guess that the prices of CGM and uh, uh, other kind of glucose monitoring drop sufficiently because the, probably a barrier. You know that it would be a significant cost to have someone wearing a Dexcom or a uh, Freestyle Libra um, when they're antibody positive or mildly dysglycemic, you know, there's a suddenly the healthcare costs go up associated with that, and those people aren't at risk of hypoglycemia. You're monitoring them in a pre disease state. Um, it somehow needs to be sold to Dexcom or one of them. Yeah, that it's in their that interest. This is, yeah, that this is in their interest, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are probably my takeaways. Is that. Uh, it's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. And, and yes. I, I, like, I. Um, I think you guys do a great service for the community. Like I, uh, so uh, yeah, I feel just extremely grateful to you guys to um, actually decide because you know you're injecting energy, you're providing this really nice kind of independent link between uh, scientists and people with type one diabetes and their families and the kind of a wider community selling type one diabetes. So I think you guys do a really fantastic thank you. Job. We thank don't you. have that many uh, uh, patients or you know. Um, Caregivers, which we mostly have scientists, but we'll we'll take any interested caregivers and patients who can yeah. listen to the science as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you guys do an amazing. Thank job. you so much. Okay. Great.